chapter 1. What did we memorize from Hebrews chapter 1? <coughs> Jesus is better than the angels. <coughs> chapter 2. Don't drift away. <coughs> Easy to do sometimes. Don't drift away. <coughs> why, why would uh, the Hebrew writer want to say that? Where did that come from? Because the Jews were attempting to go back to Judaism. These were Christians who, um, with a Jewish background, yeah. Jewish family, Jewish blood, and they were tempted to drift away, yeah. to go back. And the writer said, don't do that. I'm sorry, but I have a question. I'm studying this this week. Um, did the Jewish Christians, they did not continue to offer the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, did they like the Jewish law commandments? No, they didn't. They, they, it's kind of like Jews today. And a lot of my people are, uh, are Seventh-day Adventists. They, 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 they worship on Sunday and uh, Saturday and all that kind of stuff. If these Jews were... Um, they wanted to observe the kosher laws. They wanted to observe um, the holidays, the feast day, all of that. But they were not going back to the whole law. Well, in studying this chapter this week, that just, you know, and I kept thinking about that. And I... it, it kind of depends on when this book was written. Um, if it was after 70 A.D., um, in order to be offer um, um, sacrifices, you had to be able to trace your lineage through all the records in the temple at Jerusalem. And after 70 A.D., the Romans destroyed the whole city. 
including burning the temple down and all of that. So after 70 AD, I think it's providential. After 70 AD, uh, the tribe of Levi, from a lineage perspective, ceased to exist. So I, I think what they were wanting, I think they were, I'm sure they were baptized into Jesus for the remission of their sins. I, I, I firmly believe they believe that. But their problem was that they were facing too much pressure. People were beginning to lose their property. That, that's where you that's where the rubber meets the road. When it comes down to my property and my family connections and being ostracized, they were saying, ah, is this worth it? Is this worth it? And, and, and some went back, but a lot didn't, too, after all that. But they were, I don't think they were, historically, they were offering uh, sacrifices at this time, but they were trying to hold on yeah. to some of their traditions. And they were trying to make their physical life as easy as possible, which I have no problem with, you know, trying to live a good life and a, a relatively easy life and people not throwing rocks at you and, and uh, hanging you on a cross. I, I, that, that's fine. But um, and here's the thing, too, I, I believe that sometimes we have a little trouble understanding. We have to go back 2,000 years to that culture. In that culture, their, their, um, their civil law, their religious law, their, um, their, their family law, you know, born a Jew, always a Jew, all of those things. It, it was in some turmoil right now, and they didn't want to let go of that, many of them, and said, I guess we'll go back. I guess we'll go back. And temporarily, did that make their physical life better? Probably, temporarily. <coughs> Probably. And I think we can all understand that to mm -hmm. a point. Mm -hmm. We have traditions, family traditions, that we don't want to give up. We um, do. Yeah. We do. We do. And uh, being raised in a home where half of my, well, my dad, our dad's side's family were, were, um, were, um, <coughs> Seventh-day Adventists, good people, good conservative people. You know, no drinking, no smoking. They would, they wouldn't eat meat. They'd eat a little chicken, I think. I believe that's right on the chicken part. But a lot of vegetarians and all. So good people, but they they wanted to hold on to some of the old law. You know, well, you know, the law says that we are to meet on Saturday. Well, the old law did say that. Uh, they didn't offer blood sacrifices, so they did, sometimes you just kind of pick and choose. I think that's what the Jews were doing. Kind of picking and choose, and we like this, we don't like that. Well, Hebrew writer says you can't have that. And remember, then he goes on to say, Jesus is better than the angels, because they put a lot of stock in angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Well, who did they all follow? Moses, he gave the old law. You know, we're Jews. Okay. Uh, we, um, we can trace our lineage to the tribe of Levi. 
and they, they offer all of our sacrifices. Well, what did the Hebrew writer say about, do we have a better high priest? Jesus. He went in the most holy place one time for all time. They had to go in every week with the priest into the, uh, with the sacrifices and once a year. They went into the most holy place. Well, uh, the writer says, <clears throat> Jesus only did it one time. Jesus' blood is better than those animal sacrifices were. Uh, Jesus is a better high priest. Remember, we went through all those things. <clears throat> so, I, I think it's easy for us 2,000 years later to look back and say, you know, to the, what's your problem? Well, we didn't walk in their shoes. And uh, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't easy for them. Now, can that affect us today? Uh, in similar ways, and if so, how? Well, one of the ways is just like I mentioned with my family. Um, we were shunned to a degree because my mother, our mother, stole our dad eventually from that that religion, that denomination. And they thought they were right, and I think they were honest in their hearts if they thought they were. Um, so there was this pull back and forth, even in our family to a degree. And y'all may have faced that as well in your family with different denominations. I uh, never did. I was, I've gone to church all my life. But somebody came in now and said, well, your way is not quite right. Let me show you a better way. I wouldn't have anything to do with it. Right. So I can understand. We had a, I really liked this guy. He attended here for about a year. No names, no nothing. A few years ago. He sat through our Acts class, the whole entire Acts class. He memorized, he, he, was, he was a star student. He memorized the top thing out of every single chapter in Acts. And I asked him one time, I said, the book of Acts is so clear on how you become a Christian. He said, it really is. He said, I know what I need to do. And I may do it. <clears throat> I should do it. <clears throat> but he said, my family, without calling anything, because I know this has been recorded, uh, near here, building near here, uh, that's their religion. And, and uh, if I, they've told me no uncertain terms that I won't be a welcome at family reunions. I will not, cannot go to attend any weddings. I cannot do any of that, even my own children who are now uh, members of this uh, uh, sect. And he said, I don't know if it's worth it. He said, I know what I need to do, and I am torn on what to do because I am a persona non grata. I'm a person who, it's like the old, there's, there's a, there's a in literature, his name was Philip Nolan. Philip Nolan, there was a, a story called Man Without a Country. Man Without a Country. He said, I'm going to be a man without a country if I become and do what I know is right. 
And finally, <clears throat> I said, well, you need to be thinking about this and praying about it. <clears throat> he came up to me and said, I won't, be, I won't be able to come back. I know what I need to do, but I can't do it. The family pressures are too much. Well, that's a real-life example. Wonderful man. Um, he was here at time. Every time the door was open, he was here for almost a year. And finally, said, I can't do it. Well, that's why I think this, this hits close to home. Because even 2,000, you know, people are people. Sometimes we think, you know, we were a lot smarter than those people. Really? I don't think so. They, we faced the same things, similar things they did. And we still can't explain the pyramids. They're so <laughs> smart. Really. So these are human beings. They bled just like we do. So I, I'm more empathetic to them than I used to be. Um, so, uh, Joan, you had your hand up. Because we, we face some of these things, don't we? Maybe even in your family. And, you, and what did Jesus say? I'm coming to you, I promise. Uh, what did Jesus say in Luke uh, 14 about counting, counting the cost? The cost? Even Jesus, the, the one that created us, said, now look, count the cost now before you start following me because you're going to have to pay a cost. And, you know, he gives those couple of, of, of analogies there about a man building a house. He said, make sure before you sit down, you sit down and you, you do I have enough money to finish this house? Because if you don't and you get halfway through it, people are going to laugh at you. That's a memorial to a guy that couldn't even figure out how much money he had to build a house. There's the foundation. He said, I just assume you go on and go on your way. Or a king that's going out to war. Can a king with 10,000 be the king coming at him with 20,000? Now, you better, better weigh that out. If you can't, you better ask for peace. So, Jesus is uh, very logical. He said, I want you to follow me, but... You better count the cost because if you start on that trip and you turn back, you're better off not starting. That, that's the Lord Himself said that. So we all we all have to weigh that out. And my friend, uh, he turned out to be a good friend. He said, I've weighed it and I can't do it. The pressure's too much. Okay? He said, we're always here for you. So I still hope, pray he'll be back. Now, Joan. I was just thinking of, of the best of my granddaughter. How her own mother just threw her out because she became a Christian. And she stayed faithful. There are stories like that all over this country where people went back and said, I'm, I want to become a Christian like the Bible teaches the New Testament. And they said, well, you know that's not your lineage. And if you do that, you're not welcome here anymore. And in some cases, literally, you were thrown out of the house. That's not what family is about. It's not supposed be. to be. Not supposed to be. That, that's so true. That's not what family should be. Sometimes, I, the, uh, the, some of the be best, I, I use the term luck, I use that in quotes, I, that's not a good word, but that I've had with people who who stick with it once they become a Christian are, are oftentimes the, the irreligious <coughs> people. 
maybe who who don't have those strong pulls and maybe have not lived a, as a life like um, growing up in, so they don't have a lot to leave other than their their sinful life and sometimes it's it's it, it may be easier nothing easy about it but just because you don't have a lot to give up other than the world out there not giving up much there. Versus someone who's extremely religious and have to fight that. But you're right, family shouldn't be like that. I, I'm uh, Scott, is there another? Uh, Margie, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just think that a lot of these denominations though believe that it doesn't matter. matter. The good people are going to go to heaven. So, and some of them think you know, it doesn't make any difference. Some do. What do you believe, that. as long as you believe it. <laughs> right. And I don't, because that's what I don't understand is why families are so insistent on. Oftentimes, those families, particularly very religious families, they know what the Church of Christ believes on the New Testament and salvation. And that's why they sometimes have a bad taste They're in their just mouth. Prejudice, I think. In fact, how many times have we all heard, I know it says that, but they know it what that says that, but I've always been thought, I always thought, well, I don't want to stand before God one day with I thought. I, uh, I know your your word said that, but I, you know, my grandmother, you know. And that's what that my next door neighbor and I were talking about when Christ comes again. And he says, but I think the earth will not be completely destroyed because fire cleanses, you know, or whatever, whatever fire. And that, he says, I think that. And I said, but that's not what the Bible says. It's not what you think. It's what God <laughs> says. And I think that's, that's, that, that's the biggest thing it is. is. Yeah. Uh, the Bible's so clear about at the end that the work and all of its uh, the earth and all of its works will be burned up, and then someone says, "But I don't think that's true." Well, <laughs> you take that up with God. But sometimes it's hard to argue. In fact, I don't try not I, to do yes, that too we, much anymore. We kind of stop talking. Uh, once I hear that you're not honest about it, I know it says that, but you've only got about another minute or two with me. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I said, we don't discuss religion anymore. Now, honest people, I'll, I'll, I'll work with them for a year or two who are really trying to find out what this says. But when I started hearing the yeah buts, I, I mentioned Bob Redman. Get in the car. You can't, you can't deal with people who aren't uh, intellectually honest with, with, with the scriptures. I've tried. We all have. And, it, and you end up getting mad. They end up getting mad and walking away and whatever. So, um, everybody's got their own own thing there. But, uh, I think that's why I said don't cast your pearls before swine. Well, well yeah, even, and I'm still coming, Scott. I, I never got you. But the uh, Jesus said that even when he sent out the 70. Remember in groups of two? He says when you go into a town, uh, people are receptive. Uh, that's fine. But but if they don't, he said, shake the dust off your feet. Eventually, 
you, you have to move on to greater pastures and, sh and shake your dust off and, and move on once people aren't trying or, or, or seemingly not. You don't ever give up, but it's time to move on. Time to move on. That's what he told. This is Lord himself telling this. His apostles and, his, and the 70, what he sent them. He said, after a while, you got to move on. And now, Scott. Uh, yeah, uh, as far as like you're talking about um, the the way to see uh, the Bible better as as them people, and we're just as like uh, just as sinful or just as guilty as they are. Uh, Ecclesiastes really makes that clear and really helps like take away the illusion that we're any better because it's because it's really just a lot of repetition in like the way of man. Like we're very. Like, there's only so many excuses or so many reasons that we've talked about that you can make before, you know, you know, you, you become, you know, contrary to God's, God's word. Yes. Yes, that's true. Anything else? Oh, that, that was a little side tour, but actually it was a pretty good little, a little tour, I think, with, uh, because this is more than an intellectual exercise. Now, it is that. When you really get to digging, but it's more than that. It, it's about people's souls, their hearts, and uh, and honest and frank conversations, and that's okay. We're big boys and girls. We can handle it. Not a first rodeo. No, it's all good. It's all good. Look at verse nine of Hebrews chapter thirteen, and Greg and I will have a uh, this Wednesday night's the last. Of Hebrews, we'll have a, a quick uh, over, a quick uh, review, and then uh, and then we will uh, go back out to the auditorium for the rest of this semester, and then we will uh, start. Uh, just a plug for coming up in January. There's uh, our, our it's going to be out in the auditorium, and it's going to be on authority, a class on authority. Sean's going to teach it. Now, when I, I we grew up, and, and we heard authority every sermon, practically. And all that's fine. But a lot of these young people, even maybe even people in here are relatively new Christians, uh, have never heard the principles of authority as, as it pertains to the, to the Bible. Well, we're going we're gonna to get a whole quarter of that out there. I, I, and it, it, you bring your thinking caps and bring your notepads and all, but it's really, really good stuff. Otherwise, my opinion is good as yours. You're as good as mine. If it's just a matter of opinion, believe what you want. Well, we're, we're going to establish uh, or see how authority is established in that class out there. I'm looking forward to it. And I've sat through and talked talk these several times, but uh, Sean will do a really good job, so it's on authority. <laughs> Okay, uh, anything else before we move on to verse 9? We kind of got through verse 8 on Wednesday night. If we have time, we might go back a little bit of that. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, if you just took that out of, out of context, you're going, what in the world is that saying? <laughs> Why? <clears throat> Part of the issues 
we, we touched on here are the ma a matter of foods. Remember the, the Jewish people who become Christians were having trouble with, with um, th there were a lot of um, meats that were offered to idols. That was the, Jew that was the uh, Roman and Greek cultures. And the Jews were having uh, trouble with their conscience of eating meats offered to idols. And in fact, Paul <laughs> talked about that on two different occasions. Romans um, uh, 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, if you want to do a little studying on that. Um, and they also were pushing the kosher laws. Now, so the writer here saying in verse 9, don't be cared about with various and strange doctrines. Now, what does that imply? If there are various and strange doctrines, varying from what? The truth. It implies that there must be some truth here. Because his, his admonition here, be, care, be careful now. Um, you're going to hear a lot of strange stuff out there. We do today, too. Um, well, how can we not be carried away with those various and strange doctrines? Then and now, how can we uh, not be fall for all of that stuff? There, there's some weird stuff out there. And you go, well, that sounds pretty good. Well, it sounds pretty good according to what? So, how do we know the various and the strange? We have to know the truth. Same then, same today. Well, how do we do that? Read the Bible. Pardon? Read the Bible. Read and study the Bible. Yeah. How, well, how long is that going to take? Forever. <laughs> About a lifetime. <laughs> now, the basics are, very, are simple. Uh, you read the book of Acts on how people got into Christ, and you can see really quickly. You know, uh, it, it's probably written on a sixth grade level for people like me. Um, but there's some deep stuff in here too. But you can, it, it's very simple what it takes to become a Christian. That's not by, that's not by accident. Just read the whole book of Acts. We're doing it right now. And it looks to me like example after example after example, it just goes on and on. It looks to me like that, um, just like my friend who, who was a member of another denomination, he said that the book of Acts is very clear that you have to um, um, hear, believe, repent of your sins, and be baptized into Christ and immersed uh, to be raised a new man uh, or new woman. Uh, that's real clear. Well, it is real clear. That's the start. That's not the finish. So in order to, as Michelle said, in order to know what the real is, in fact, you know how they train or used to uh, train uh, tellers in a bank? to notice counterfeit. <clears throat> you handle the real. You touch the real has a different feel to it. The real has a different look to it. Has a different texture to it. Has a different paper. The ink is different. So that if you know the real, you can see the counterfeit. That, that's a good principle. That's how they train tellers. 
as part of the training. Well, how do we know the counterfeit here? We, we study the Bible, we read the Bible, <clears throat> we come to services every chance we get, we listen to sermons, we pray about it, and we read our Bibles, study about it every day. Then when these various and strange doctrines come along, um, we can generally recognize them. And that's what he's saying to these people. Because remember, go back to like chapter... Nine, I think. Eight, no, no, no. And that's something. <laughs> the teacher. Uh, he said, by now, you should be teachers of the word. Maybe it's six. I think it's six without looking to uh, five or six. <clears throat> you should by now. Be teachers of this word. Five. Five. Okay, I knew I was getting close. But now, you still have people to teach you the basics. What have you been doing? You've not been studying. These people have not been studying and listening. Because they still had people need to teach. He said, you ought to be teaching others about Jesus. And here you're having to be taught the, the elementary principles. He calls it the milk of the word. Babies drink milk. Babies don't eat steak. <clears throat> they have to grow into solid foods. We have to grow into solid foods. <clears throat> it's not a sin to be where you are. We talked about that last week. <clears throat> the sin becomes when you're there one year, two years, five years from now, still the same place you were. Now that is sin. Because you're not growing. Not grow. So that's what he says. He said, now, "Now, you Jewish Christians, be careful now. You're going to get carried away when these things come along. <clears throat> There's some typology here. There are some types and anti-types here that we that goes back to some of the Jewish customs and also." We're going to get into a little bit of that here when, when, when we talk about that, uh, Joan. Nine I just had a question about verse nine mm -hmm. because one of the questions in the book is how does um, the workbook? How does grace strengthen us? I'm sorry, I don't understand what. what how the does grace is. strengthen us? Strengthen us. Well, what is grace? Unmerited favor. Okay, unmerited favor. Something we can't earn. Something we can't earn. I, I heard it defined this way one time. I like it. In God's grace, God's grace <clears throat> does things for us. I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> Sorry about that. God's grace does things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. God's grace does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So, how is God's grace? That's a good question. How is God's grace, Him doing parenthetically, Him doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, how does God's grace strengthen us? What you thinking, Cap, on here now? It gives us confidence. How? Through His blood for us. 
purchased his grace <coughs> for us. We know we err, but his grace covers that error. How has he demonstrated his grace to, toward us? Through Jesus. In what way? Through his sacrifice and resurrection. There you go. <coughs> his, his mercy, his long-suffering, uh, long-suffering in the Bible means uh, one with a long temper. You've heard people say, well, he's got a short temper. God's got a long temper. He's long-suffering. He suffers long. And that's due to His grace. And mercy, if you want to throw that in too. Uh, grace. Because theoretically, no, well, not theoretically, actually He could. He's God. He can do anything He wants to do. If it wasn't for His grace and mercy and long suffering, where would we be? Lost. We're gone. We're lost. Well, why is this world still standing? If it had been me, I'd pull the, I'd pull the plug today <laughs> with everything going on. Jonah, uh, Jonah felt the same way. Or, yeah. yeah, Jonah felt the same way. Oh, he did? Yeah, he was mad. Uh, so... God's long-suffering and patience and mercy and grace is the reason this world's still standing. Because one day it won't be when He's had enough. When is that? I don't know. You look around and turn on the door. Oh, my word. Uh, have, we gone, have we lost our collective minds? Don't answer that question. <laughs> I think we have sometimes. <laughs> That's God's grace. But it says somewhere, and I can't think where, that He's unwilling that any should be lost. So he's, he's waiting. He's waiting. But even in uh, Noah's time, the earth had been, a, well, it depends on how you want it. Probably 1,500 years. The earth had been established anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 years. If you want to say 2,000 years, I got no problem with that, but it's somewhere around 1,500 years. <clears throat> and the world was, was, a, was a mess then too. And God said uh, His long-suffering, but eventually what happens even to God's long-suffering? He's had enough. He's had enough. Was it too late to repent when the rain started and the door on the ark was shut up? There's a lot of people repenting then. Too late. Too late. That'll happen on the last day. Can you imagine? Is anybody going to wonder on the last day? I wonder what that was. What was that saying? What was that? <clears throat> Trumpets are going to be blaring. It says the, 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 This is the Bible talking. There's going to be this loud shout. And no one's going to have to go, I wonder what that was. The heavens are going to be rolled back like a scroll. And the angels are going to gather all of God's people from the four corners of the earth. We'll meet Him in the air on the last day. And then judgment will take place. And then the people who love the earth so much, I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be burnt up with you. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. But due to His grace and mercy, now that should scare you. And that's a good start. Fear is a good start, but it takes more than that to get you to the finish line. 
We have to appreciate and love him for all he's done for us. And that grows. I'll never forget. At 13, I, I, I scared to death. I, every time a thunder would lie, uh, clap, I would uh, I think this is it, and I'm lost. I feared Jesus. I feared God. That was a good start. That was a good start. You don't have time to repent because it says in a twinkling of an eye. No, no, it'll be quick. Our bodies will be changed. And here again, that's not uh, that's not a strange doctrine, very strange doctrine. Uh, you, we can turn to every verse about that, what it's going to be like at the end. He gave us, he pulled the curtain back a little bit. He said, this is what, I want to give you a little bit of hope here. I want to, okay, that's enough of that. He didn't tell us all, but that, that's what's going to happen at the end. Look at verse 11. Oh, let me go back up to verse 10. Well, we, now, uh, look, look at the different symbolism here. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, you've got to be thinking there, what does that mean? Well, let's, let's dissect it. <coughs> when he talks about the tabernacle, Jesus is a better tab tabernacle. Better tabernacle than what? The old law. The Jewish law. When they had the tabernacle and the high priest and the people from Levi and so on. So, what was part of that sacrificial system? The altar? Sprinkling blood? You know, all, all of that. So he says, we have an altar. What, what is that altar? We could call it the cross, if you like. Um, which those who serve the tabernacle, the old law, the old Jewish law, if you want to go back, I don't think you want to do that. We have an altar from which those who serve the old have no right to eat. If you go back, you have no right. You, you forfeited your rights to Jesus and His blood. If you go back, because you're going back to an inferior situation. Right? You see the types and anti-types and the symbols and things here. If you just pull that out, you go, well, I don't know what that means. But if you look at the context, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Now notice, still we're back, still back there, for the bodies of those animals, what animals were that? Were those? Sacrificial. Yeah, the sacrificial animals, the bulls and the goats and so on. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Now wait, he's going to use that term, burned outside the camp, outside the gate, outside the camp. I think three times it is. Must be important. If you go back to Leviticus 16, you can do, that might be a little homework thing for you. Someone in a nutshell on the Day of Atonement, which was we would call July the 10th. It was the seventh month on the 10th day. <coughs> the high priest would come in and he would first offer blood sacrifices for himself. Why? He was a sinner. Compare that to Jesus. We've already done that. Then, once a year, <coughs> he would go inside the most holy place. And he would take the blood with his fingers and he would touch seven, you know, all of that, those long rituals there that you can read about in, in Leviticus 16. 
Then, so he's, he's, he's sprinkling the blood for the sins of the people, for himself, and then for the sins of the people. Now, what did they do with the, the skin, the body, the, the, uh, the, the Leviticus writer calls it awful, or the intestine, all of that. Uh, did they leave them just laying there in the, in the holy place, in the most holy place? What did they do with them? Took, it outside. Took them outside the camp. And the high priest selected a man to go out and burn that. So the, the sacrifice eventually was burned outside the camp. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the city of Jerusalem. Well, where was the temple under the old law? Jerusalem. You see the see the connections there, and the um, you, you you have to put your thinking cap on here a little bit. But he keeps telling them now. You, you want to go back to Leviticus 16 with the priest and his flowing robes and 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 dripping, you know, throwing blood seven times on this and touching this and touching the door. Oh, is that what you want to do? When the refuge, how was Jesus treated? They took the refuge out of the city and burnt it. How was Jesus treated outside the city? That's refuge. That's refuge. If you were crucified on a cross, there was no lower death. Beheading was, was a more noble way to die than dying on a cross. And sometimes it would take six to twelve hours to maybe eighteen hours or till the sun went down then they'd break their leg you know all that so what did Jesus die so to speak in disgrace outside the camp hanging on that cross he sure did he did and then he goes on to say look in verse um, did God leave him there <clears throat> He raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. He was hung in disgrace and ridicule, people spitting on him. And yet God raised him from the dead and to give us hope. So he's far from a disgrace to, to, to Christians. And he, the writer's almost saying here in between the lines, you're going to disgrace Jesus now if you go back. Because he's already died once. God raised him from the dead. And your only hope as an individual is being raised from the dead at the end. You want to go back to that? We had a good friend that died yesterday. Well, she, we figured she was 74, 75. Family member. Uh, wonderful woman. Cancer just racked her, racked her body for probably about a year, close to it. And uh, she died in hope. Wonderful woman. What wonderful Christian woman. Well, there are other people dying of cancer who have no hope. And I've never seen a Christian on their deathbed say, you know, I wish I had a waste of my life on all that. 
I've seen people who, who were alcoholics on their deathbed say, I wish I'd not wasted my life doing that. Living my life like that. Some family members. Going out kicking and screaming. And they probably should. But not a Christian. This is just serious stuff. I mean, there's no better life. But it's serious. It's a serious life. It's a life of, of sacrifice, and it's. Uh, but what did these? What did the Hebrew writer say in, in chapters eleven and twelve? How could those people suffer all they did? What did they keep fixated on? The end. The goal. The end. The end. Didn't understand that in my twenties very well. Heard it, but I'm going to tell you now in your 70s, you understand exactly how close to that end you're getting. And if you're ever going to be serious, it's time to do it. Yeah. See, you thought you were going to come into Hebrews 13 and you end up getting on a sermon. <laughs> Questions, comments on that? Look at verse 14. I don't see any hands. For here we have no continuing city. What does that mean? Is this earth going to continue? Well, after we're gone, <laughs> as far as we're concerned, that's the end anyway. There's no continuing city, but we seek one to come. It has the best retirement plan that you could ever have. No question about it. Therefore, verse 15, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, you can go to Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19. It talks about singing to God and all that's so true. Absolutely true. Is there... Um, is there one thing to say, I believe God, I believe in God? Isn't it another thing to prove it and to do it on a daily basis? That's kind of what it's saying here. That it's, it's, there's some action involved. There's some action. It's not a matter of some mental assent. Some people believe that. I believe, that, I believe Jesus and then I'll go on about my daily, daily activities. Well, good luck with that. Well, the Bible does not teach that at all. And notice the word he uses there pretty early in the first little phrase. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Why should we have to sacrifice? Everything. But why? Oh, sorry, why? Because he sacrificed. That's it. Yeah. Because he sacrificed for you and me, worms like us. So is it a strange thing for us to have to sacrifice for Him? Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. But He says, don't forget to what? Good. Do good. Do good. Now wait. You don't got personal here now, Jesus. You mean we got to do stuff? Correct. That's a fact. Do good and to... Share. 
He's already warned us a few verses back about greed. He said, don't be greedy. What's the root of greed? We talked about that. Uh, selfishness, would you say? Yeah. yeah. What's the... If you share, what's the opposite of selfishness? Sharing? Well, what do we share? Everything. What about a kind word? <coughs> what about, Jesus said, what about a cup of cold water in my name? Water? He said, if you give a, a person who needs uh, some food or some water, it's the same as doing it to me. And our influence, what we do also, I mainly think of our receptionist on weekends where I live. And she said, if you're not down here by 9.30 <clears throat> on Sunday morning on your way to church, I'm going to call and see what's wrong with you. Uh, so, you know, she doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't yeah. want to come, but yeah. she knows where I'm going to be every yeah. Sunday morning at 9.30. So it's your, it's your example. Who do people call when things get rough? Their drinking buddies? They don't. They'll call you. And then verse 17, which is the, for elders, it's the most scary, it's about the scariest verse in the New Testament for elders. Note. And maybe for, for people as well. Obey those who lead you or, or rule over you. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. I wish there was a period there. <laughs> Would be much easier. As, as those who must give account. The elders talk about this quite often, and you can lose some sleep over this too. It's one thing to, 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 to just have to worry about yourself, so to speak, but when, when he says, be careful now, you, you leaders, you, 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 you're going to have to give an account for the, for, the, for the souls that you're responsible for. Oh. Not to be taken lightly. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be taken lightly. Let them do so with joy. The elder's job should be a joyous job. A lot of times it is. Sometimes it's not. And not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. That is so true. So true. But you can ask any elders about Hebrews 13 and verse 17 and they can tell you exactly what that says. And how, and how it worries them. And then verse 18, I know we've only got two or three minutes left. Pray for us. Look down in verse 20. Uh, the great shepherd of the sheep. Who is that? You, Jesus. Jesus, the shepherd of the sheep. Great shepherd. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He says, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation uh, in, in his closing. Uh, know that our brother Timothy has been set free. What does that imply? Where has Timothy been? He's been in prison too. Greet <clears throat> all those who lead you, rule over you, and all the saints 
<clears throat> those from Italy uh, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. That, that's Hebrews. That's the book of Hebrews. We'll, uh, Greg will do most of it, I think, Wednesday night on the review. It may help a little bit, but that's the book of Hebrews. A wonderful book. Um, I've had a few say, Hebrews always kind of scared me. I didn't like to study that too much. I uh, never quite, did quite understand all of it. But Well, we may never understand all of it, but hopefully you understand more than you did. And then you've got, you've got your notes here. You can have your independent study. Sit down at your desk, get you a cup of coffee, and just study it out. But we, hopefully we've laid a little groundwork here on the book of Hebrews. A wonderful book. It really is. Questions or comments on anything? There's a there's a book that it's the best commentary on the book of Hebrews I've ever read. Ever. There's not even a close second. Um, it's called the Book of Hebrews by David McClister. Dr. David McClister. He's a professor at Florida College. And he's getting a new book that's going to be published soon. I can't wait to get it. David McClister, the book of Hebrews, about that thick. And uh, you, you, bring your, uh, you bring your thinking cap with that. But, oh, it's so rich. And you're going to read a lot of that and you're going to go, wait a minute. I think Mitch and Greg used that as a basis for their, their class. Correct. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> You know the definition anyway of, of original. 